I think there were, it was over eight people, kids to adults, uh, rededicated or saved, uh, eight to ten, this, this, just this last weekend. So that's just praising God for what he's doing. But amen. If you got your Bibles with me this morning, turn to your, your Bible to John chapter 13, verse 12. John chapter 13, verse 12. The title of this morning's message, as we're getting close to wrapping up our Words in Red series, we're going to title these next five weeks, Love Sums It. Love sums it. And it really will look like this. Love plus obedience. What does it equal? And we're going to look each over the next several weeks at what does love plus obedience equal? And I believe you're going to get some things in here that maybe you've not heard it in a certain way before. Uh, But love sums it. And this morning, the way we're looking at obedience today, we're going to look at love plus obedience for the next five weeks. What does that uh, produce in us? Uh, as we look at Jesus's last moments with his disciples before the crucifixion and how he has repeatedly teaching his disciples how we love God and we obey him and it results in these great blessings. But one of the ways we love Jesus is through serving others. And that's what we're going to look at it today as far as obedience goes. How are we serving uh, God and others? But, uh, you know, the Forbes magazine uh, reported uh, that and they asked a bunch of employees, what was their most memorable recognition? What was the, the time on your job where you felt the most recognized, most appreciated? And most of them all said employee of the month. Anybody here ever been employee of the month? Some of you who work for yourself, you're like every day, you know, you know, uh, stay at home moms, dad, you better be raising your, your wife's hand, employee of the month, right? Uh, employee of the month. That's when you feel validated. It's like, oh, they recognize me. Maybe you got your plaque on the wall. You got that special parking spot outside, uh, and, you know, you go to the hospitals or Walmart or different places and you'll see, you know, a 15 year employee, 25 year. You go to Walmart, you get the little pins that say, you know, how long they've been there. And that's a, something that recognizes them and they feel appreciated that uh, maybe somebody picked up their schedule or maybe they got them cake in the, uh, you know, the break room. Uh, but I was thinking of this. What if we created here at Sanctuary a Christian of the month? Right. OK, think about it. No, no, no. Just think about it. I'm not going to really do it. But I'm just giving you a little joke this morning. But, you know, you'd come in and we'd give you a big applause this month because you attended every service and you made the coffee all the time. And we put your picture right there in the lobby, you know, big, big eight by ten. And you get the first parking spot right here every day, you know, Uh, probably. How do you think that would go over? Probably not too well. Right. You know, how would we judge that? You know, would it uh, you know, would it be the people, you know, okay, okay, yeah, you're tied. We get that. You know, you attend. But it would be that special person, you know, they're always smiling and they got that nice, they, their clothes are ironed. You know, I don't know what it would, what would, how would you judge that? Likely, like the Employee of the Month, uh, that em, the Employee of the Month program has actually had a lot of criticism because it fosters unhealthy competition sometimes. You know, you're like racing to make the coffee or you're pushing other people all the way to, you know, make their clothes rack better or whatever. Uh, probably it wouldn't be a good idea if we did that here because uh, it would be measuring what? The outer things. And we would be, we'd be creating a, an environment that would say, who's the best? Who's the greatest? Which one of us is the employee, the Christian of the month this month? And, you know, it would be that person over, you know, that sits on the front row all the time that's like, their, their picture's up there like every month and you would just be like, you know, that little, you know, and you'd want to be, I want him, you know, Christian of the month next month. Okay. Anyway, look at with me in John chapter 13, because we're looking at something today that is uh, very similar. OK, uh, who is the greatest? Who is the best? Uh, because 
Jesus is teaching his disciples in a theme I'm going to bring out this morning. John chapter 13, verse 12. Catch up with me. Here we are. We're rewinding a little bit from Easter. We are going to spend the next five weeks on just the one night before Jesus was betrayed. Okay? And at the Passover supper on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a towel. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. Okay, now here we are. John chapter 13, verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example. Turn to your neighbor and say, Example. God gave you an example that you should follow. God gave me an example that I should follow. And he says, for I gave you an example that you should follow. So do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who sent greater than one who sends him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. A little background here. First century foot washing. How many people have ever been to a foot washing service here in Gina, Louisiana? Yeah, a good quarter of us, right? I have been as well. Grew up in the South. That was a popular thing, especially in the 80s, uh, early 90s. Uh, foot washing. Okay, let's go back. In the first century, uh, roads were dusty and you wore sandals. That simple, okay? Your feet were dirty. And those of you who like clean feet like I do, I don't wear flip-flops hardly ever. I can't stand it because I can't stand my feet being dirty, you know? Uh, i got to have shoes on. That's just one of my OCD-ness, okay? And uh, a little bit about your pastor this morning, all right? And... Uh, they would come into a house and foot washing. Okay, so most of the time, most people would wash their own feet. You come into a house, especially your own, uh, and you wash your feet. If you had a really devoted spouse who really loved you, perhaps a uh, husband, she would wash your feet, or children would maybe wash the parents' feet, or if you were a master and your pupil, sometimes they would wash your feet. However, uh, and, and then if you had a big party and you were very wealthy and you had some slaves, You could have your slaves wash your guest feet, and it was a great honor, okay? But most of the time, you would wash your own feet because as a Jew, it was one of the most belittling things to wash someone else's feet. And actually, uh, in ancient times, you'll find writings that'll say that uh, they wouldn't even let Jewish slaves do it because they felt even their slaves were too good to wash other people's feet. And often, it was only reserved for a couple of things. One, a Gentile slave to be the lowest of the low on the food chain, right? So the Jewish slave, and then maybe their master said, no, I won't even let you do it. Then the Gentile slave would do it. Uh, or it was in uh, cases of true, true devotion, where a wife would just wash her husband's feet. And husbands, maybe your wives have helped you out in different ways. Or wives, you know, you've been in the hospital. Sometimes your spouse will have to help you out with things that are... Uh, embarrassing, you know, help you go to the restroom if you've ever been sick or different things like that. It was in those kind of cases. That's kind of the, the way it would work, okay? Kind of get that picture. If you're sick, your spouse is the one, you know, bringing you and you're throwing up in the toilet. They're the one wiping your face and picking it all up, and, right? Those are, that's true love, right? Somebody who will hold your hair back when you're throwing up, okay? I'm giving you great mental pictures this morning so you're not thinking about lunch later, all right? Okay. So, all right, so, it, uh, it was this extreme devotion and often only reserved for the lowest of the low. So what is Jesus doing here? 
Why did he do this and what was the point? Okay, I'm going to take you through a few verses and, and just stick with me this morning because I want to show you, you've got to see the big picture because Jesus was taking them on a journey and he was taking them on a journey of servanthood. Okay, so here we are. Let's rewind even some more. Let's go back and we're in the middle of Israel now. And Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And he has just uh, gone to the Mount of Transfiguration where his countenance has changed. And as they do this, as they see him, and you know, Jerusalem is ahead. So we're a few weeks back now. He goes in and, and the disciples begin arguing over who is the greatest in the kingdom. They just saw Jesus and they saw Moses and, and Elijah. And after this transfiguration, the disciples argue, who's going to be the greatest? So Jesus takes this child. You might remember this story in Luke 9. He takes this child and he says to them, it's not this way. For the one who is the least among you, this is the greatest. And if you want to be first, you have to be the last of all. You've got to be like this little child and come to me. Okay? Okay, so he taught them a good lesson, all right? Well, let's go a little bit longer. Just a little bit down the road, James and John's mom comes up to them and says, hey, Jesus... You're on the mountain. Yeah, it's, I know who you are. You know, hey, I want one of my boys. I want both of my boys on both sides of your throne in heaven. And he says, are you sure you know what you're asking? Will you be able, will they, will you, James and John, be able to take of this cup? Because he's on the road to the cross, right? He's on the road to die at Jerusalem. Will you be able to take of this cup that I'm about to, to partake of? And he says, now remember, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he goes and tells them, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. OK, so he told him again, fast forward a few weeks or a few days. He's now at the Passover and at the Passover uh, at the during the crucifixion, a couple of days before he, this Passover supper, we were just having uh, he did the foot washing. He says, hey. Don't be like the Pharisees in the temple. He tells them the religious elite, they're hypocrites. He says, but the greatest among you in Matthew 23 shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Anybody see a theme here? Anybody? Okay. All right. So now Jesus has just washed the disciples feet. Now we're back to where we were. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, took off his, uh, uh, put this towel on, washed their feet, told them, hey, be like uh, uh, me, serve one another. The greatest shall be the least. And if I serve you, then you should serve one another. Okay, so they eat supper. They have a good hymn singing. For those of you who like hymns, they, it's in the Bible. Jesus sang hymns. All right. And they left the upper room and went down the hill to a place called Gethsemane, a garden. Well, along the way, guess what happened? The disciples, having just saw this, says that they argued about who would be the greatest. They were really looking for this Christian of the month club. And and so they begin to say and he rebukes them. And in Luke 22, he says, it's not this way with you. The one who is the greatest among you must be like the youngest and the leader must be like the servant for who is greater. The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves it is not the one who reclines at the table. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is among us. Jesus is among us and he says, I'm serving you. I, I, Jesus has got to be, is the most patient dude ever to walk the face of the earth. Because if you had gone through that, would you not be yelling at, screaming at these guys like, dude, I just told you this. 
Like literally five minutes ago, I just told you, you got to serve one another. Why are you guys arguing over who is the greatest and who's going to be in the kingdom and who's going to be honored? And how do I have a blessed life? And how do I get the most out of this Christianity? And how do I get the most of being with Jesus? And, and all of this stuff, it was all so self-centered. And he says, uh, but here's the cool thing. Sometimes hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And and look at these guys. While Christ's foot washing was this huge cultural statement that night, it would not be until later when they saw that Christ, uh, his most truly monumental act of love and service was on the cross. And because they could look back and say, wow, look at all that he showed us. What, look at all that he said to us. And, and then they really looked back later and got this whole foot washing thing because they saw the cross And because of this, they would all give their lives to follow him. All give their lives to imitate them. All but John would die a martyr's death. Because they would look back and they would say, Wow, what did Jesus really do that night? And he asked them, he says, Do you know what I'm doing? Do you know what I'm doing for you? Now let's look at this a little bit this morning. We're talking about being served by Jesus. Uh, Do we get it? Do you get what Jesus is doing here in this passage? Because that's what he, this is the whole point of today. Do you really get what Jesus is doing here in this passage? Because he says, uh, he says, do you know what I have done to you? John thirteen twelve. And I sometimes wonder if like the disciples, um, I, know, I don't have to wonder. I know that I, in my life, uh, even like this morning, what we were saying in the word, uh, the Holy Spirit's word even given today, it's kind of like, you would really want to hark on these guys because it's like, dude, you just heard this like over and over again for a few weeks. How do you not get it? How many sermons have you heard in your lifetime? I've heard thousands and thousands and th- I can't even know. I will be ashamed, you know, because he's like, how many times have you heard this, but yet you don't get it? Right. And how, is that not true for us today? We'll hear sermons on peace and love and joy and forgiving your neighbor. And then the, it'll be like we get home that afternoon and it's, rah, 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 right. Come on, let's be honest. And he's like, dude, I, I, I don't even know what to say to you. The one who is the greatest must be like the youngest and the leader must be like the servant. I'm serving you. How do you not serve others? And I wonder sometimes why didn't they get this? You see, the Holy Spirit had to be born again inside of them. But they had to also see, what does the cross mean? What is this thing about God coming down to earth and dying on a cross? And why is that such a big deal? And, and, and yeah, I know that there's a Jesus, but really, who is he and what did he do? And if you look at this Passover meal as being served, Jesus, uh, the, he interrupts the Passover Seder meal, which we had one a few weeks, or last week with our, uh, one of our small groups. He interrupts this Passover meal and this ceremony to demonstrate something, the depths of his love. The Bible tells us that he stripped down to a loincloth, which, he, uh, which is a part of the, the... But it would have been humiliating, right? He strips down to a loincloth, wraps a towel around him, bends down, comes behind the table, and begins to wash their feet. He takes the position of a Gentile slave. He takes the position of a slave. And Jesus, he, he takes the dress of a slave. That's what a slave would have worn. And he dresses a slave. He takes the position of a slave and he washes their feet. You know what he was demonstrating? He was telling them, I will provide the means of your cleansing. I think about this and it just, it astounds me. The, 
if you don't under, if you don't see the poet uh, the poetry and the, the symbolism in the Bible, I'm sorry, because that night Jesus, God on high, would put off His glory, and He would put on our slavery. And that very night, He would be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver. You know what that would buy you? A slave. And so that very night, His price was the price of a slave. He knew what it would cost him to serve mankind. It would cost him his life. And he willingly put off the glory of heaven on high and put on frail humanity. And he put on not just normal humanity and walk the earth where he could be perfect. He put on the slavery of sin. He would take on our sin. He would take on our guilt. He would take on our shame. And then he would wash our feet. Can you imagine... A God willing to do that for you and I. To show us how much He loved us. And you know what He was doing to the disciples is He was giving them an illustrated sermon of the cross. This whole passage is an illustration of the cross of Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, He says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. This cross... And this act right here kind of go together as Christ's greatest act of service where He becomes a slave to all. And here in this passage, He knows that in the heart of Judas, it was already given to betray Him. You know what He does? He comes up behind Judas. He washes His feet. He knows that in a few moments, Peter will deny Him three times. Nevertheless, He bows back down again, gets behind Peter and he washes Peter's feet. And he bows down and washes. Jesus Christ washes your feet and my feet. Knowing, you know what? You're going to mess up over and over again. You know what? You're probably not going to get it the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, even the sixteenth time in your life sometimes. But you know what? I'm going to head and making the first move. And he washes our feet. Just the idea that he took off heaven, and put on our slavery should speak volumes to us. That Jesus makes the greatest leap of servitude. The the greatest leap, because He not only goes from heaven to earth, but He is willing to go from heaven to the gates of hell for you and me. Man, you know, it, it might be something to say, oh yeah, I'll take out the groceries for somebody, or I'll serve, or I'll love this person. But who on earth You talk about the distance of humbling ourselves. Who on earth could humble yourself from heaven to hell? Of lowering yourself. And then Jesus says, I'm serving you. Now you serve others. He comes to Peter. And Peter's shocked at this act. It's like totally uncultural. Jesus, you cannot wash my feet. That's the position of a Gentile slave. You're my master. I'm, I, I'm, I, there's no way I can let you do I must wash your feet. And Jesus, what does he say? He says, hey, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part from me. You have no part with me. Peter saw Christ's humility and he did not like it. It pricked something because Peter wasn't willing to go that low yet. He wasn't willing to do what Christ had done in his life. And you know what? Before you can accept Jesus Christ, you have to let Jesus wash your feet. 
You have to allow Him to die on the cross for you, to wash you with the water of the Word of God, to wash you with the Holy Spirit, that born-again experience. And it is a humbling experience that all of us have to go through. Let me put it like this. It, uh, there was a, a moment in my life where I had to verbalize these words, and that were this, Jesus, I needed you to die for me. Not Jesus accepts you and accepts your sacrifice, but literally for me to conceptualize Jesus, if it was just me and you, I'm going to have to ask you to die. Let's give it another way. If you are in a hospital and they're telling you that you're going to die, it would be the same thing as this of your child or your spouse or your closest friend. And you'd say it's kind of this kind of arrangement. Hey, I need that organ. Would you give me your organ? And I know that this operation will kill you, but I will live. We would be like, no, honey, you live. I got this. We got the life insurance. You take care of the kids. You know, like we would we would never say, John, I need John. I love you, bro. But I need an operation. I need your heart and I'll live. But you're going to die. Would you you know, let's do this right. It's we would be appalled. But that's kind of what we have to do with Christ. We have to say, Jesus, I need your blood. And to get to that place where we have to say, this is a humbling experience for me because, Jesus, I needed you to die. And we're asking him to die for us. And that's what Peter and him had to go through this illustration. He said, I need you. I, you ha- I have to let you wash my feet. And, and we have to come to this place with Christ to say, God, I... I don't want it. I didn't want you to die for me, God. I, don't, I didn't want you to have to die for me, God, but I needed you. God, I needed you to die for me. You know what? I look at this scenario and there was one guy who came out of this and he wasn't changed, and that was Judas. Judas was not changed by the foot washing. He died a sinner. I think there's an error, a challenge here before we go on to what we move from this place to the next point is that we can go through the acts of church, all kinds of things that we want. But Jesus tells him, he says, not all of you are clean at the table. He says, not all of you are clean. And he tells him one of them will betray him. Judas never let Jesus spiritually wash him. He wasn't going to let Jesus humbly die for him. And how has this changed you? How has the idea that you needed Jesus Christ to die for you, how has it humbled you? And how has that caused you to serve other people? How has that caused you uh, not only a pain, because it should, it should cause us a pain, a repentance, a a changing of our ways, but it also should motivate us because we get from this passage this great love That God so loved the world that he separated himself from his glory to die on our sin. And he says this. He says, hey, I served you, so you should serve others. Now, let's look at this. John, look at verse 14. John chapter 13, verse 14. Serving others is kind of in this conflict with our nature, right? And and he asked them earlier, he said, are you able to drink of this cup? 
Are you able to follow me to the cross? Are you able to do the kind of thing that I'm about to do? And he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do uh, as I've done. You know, this is the only time in the, in the, in the entire New Testament where, we've, where Jesus says the word example. You should note that. Jesus is giving them an example. Turn to your neighbor and say example again. Example. Jesus has given you and I an example. And it's not at all about foot washing, because we could do that here today. But it's about a lifestyle. It's a commitment to serving others. And Jesus is commanding his followers, his imitators, his students to say, Hey, I'm calling you to a slave-like service to one another. A slave-like service to other believers. And he says not only that, but I'm calling you to be willing to die to your flesh that other people might know me. This is the life I'm calling you. Are you ready to drink from this type of cup? Because I tell you what, guys, I've gone from heaven and I'm willing to go to hell for you. And if I can go that far, you can serve other people. If I can do this for you, then you can do that for someone else. Because let me tell you, only Christ could do it for us. We needed him to die. And he says, "Uh, you've got to be willing to follow my example. Follow the life I've set before you. The journey to servanthood that I've called you to. And then I like this. In John 13, 16, he says, Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent him greater than the one who sent him. Our servanthood, that means how we serve other people, is an extension of of our love for Jesus. Now, you have to understand that real quick. Listen this morning. How you serve others reflects on how you love Jesus. Okay? Let me give you an example. In ancient times, uh, if, a conquered, if a king was conquered, all right, what they would have that king do is in front of the other king, he would bow down and he would submit his, his kingdom or his kingship to that other king, right? But what everybody else behind him would do Well, you know what they do? They would bow too. Because if your king bows, then you bow. Now, if there's a dude in the back that says, well, I'm not going to bow down to that king because this is our country. What you're doing is you're not just rebelling against the one still standing. You're rebelling against your king who's bowing. And what Jesus is telling us today is he said, if it wasn't too good for me to bow down, follow me, bow down with me. When Jesus says, I'm willing to serve the world to die for them. I'm willing to serve the world to build my church. Serve my church. Serve my people. Serve my saints. Because when we're standing there and saying, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm not going to turn the other cheek with that person. I'm not going to let that thing go. You know what you're doing? You're standing up. And while Jesus is bowing down. And I'm not rebelling against that person. I'm rebelling against Jesus. Amen? And he says, yes, I've served you, so serve others. Be served, but be serving. Unless I think I'm greater than Christ. Man, we serve his church, we serve his body, we serve the saints, we serve his cause, we serve his gospel mission. And why? Look at Philippians 2.1. Philippians 2.1. We serve those who need to know his love. Philippians 2, 1, I'm going to read it this morning. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, anybody encouraged by Christ today? All right, somebody is. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, how many people know they see some love when they see Jesus? 
right? If there's any consolation, if there's any encouragement when you think about what Christ has done on the cross for you, if there's any love that you see when he washed these disciples' feet and was willing to put off hell, uh, heaven and go to hell for you, if, you can, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, which means that God has put us together, uh, he says, if there's any affection, any compassion, now what? Make my joy complete of being of the same mind. Maintain the same love. Be united in spirit, intent on one purpose, and that is do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Somebody say humility of mind. Humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Here it is. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul is painting us a picture of the cross. He's painting us a picture of this foot washing. And he's saying, hey, if you get anything out of this that Christ died for you, love others. But not only love them, serve them. If you get anything out of Jesus, if you get anything at all about this Easter celebration, if you get anything out of the Christ dying on the cross, love others. If you get anything out of what Christ has done for you, serve others. But here's the catch. You know, religion, we come to church. Religion is this. It's all about getting you right. I come to church. I'm trying to get myself right. That's religion. Religion is all about getting me right, getting me holy, me getting my face on the employee, the Christian of the month club, putting myself at a more holier place than other people and getting on this road of more holiness. And that's what religion is. It says, hey, I'm trying to set myself apart, which we do. Don't get me wrong. That's scripture. We do set ourselves apart. But it's not in religion. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not in a I'm putting myself up. It's in a I'm lowering myself down. And it says religion is all about focusing on me, the disciples. Hey, God, when am I going to get there? God, when am I going to do this? Hey, you know, I think I'm going to be first. No, I think I'm going to be first. Or who's the best of us? Or God, who's holy in this room? God, who, who's closer to you in this room? Come on. And that's religion. But re- true religion, true religion, true Christianity is about loving and serving others. I say this in marriage counseling a lot. But there is only one fight that we should really be having in this building right here. And that's the fight for last place. You want to fight in your marriage? Fight for last place. You want to fight in your friendships? Fight for last place. That's what Jesus is doing. We're fighting for last place. It's like, oh, no, no, let me get the door for you. No, 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 let me get the door for you. And that's kind of, you know, sometimes you see those funny situations arise. But in a sense, spiritually, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, how low can I go to serve you? Because, God, if you went from heaven to hell for me, God, I can let it go. God, I can move out of the way and let you handle the situation. God, I can not harbor that anxiety, that fear, that doubt, that anger anymore. God, I can let the peace of God transform me because, God, you died for them. You died for me. And, God, I'm not going to be the one at the back and saying my king is bowing down. But, God, I'm standing up here saying, well, yeah, Jesus, you died for them. But, you know, they wronged me, too. Right? God, I know you died for them. But, but God, you don't know how they treated me. And he, he went to the cross for them. You know, I, in my life, I was praying over the sermon. And uh, you know, I realized more and more, I'm a young guy, but 
I realize more and more I am right far too often. And that doesn't sound good in the way you might think about it. But you know, Jesus took my wrongs. He became my wrongs. And I I need to be willing to be wronged. I should be willing to be wronged. I should be willing to, you know what, even if I am right, it doesn't matter. It don't matter. Jesus took our wrongs. He was right. He was holy. He had not sinned, but he took it anyway. Are we motivated to love today because Christ loved? Are we willing to serve today because Christ served? Are we willing to die to the pride of being right, to bow down to people who will stab us in the back, to bow down to people who will leave us in the dirt, to die to harboring anger and unforgiveness and malice and to say, God, you know, you forgave me, so God, I forgive them. God, I love them. God, I'll show them. God, I'm going to take the first step. God, I'm going to make the first move because I want them to see you and me. Service, I believe this is from the Lord. Service is not a project, it's a personality. It's Jesus' personality. Service is not a schedule, it's a sacrifice. It's based on Christ's sacrifice. And service is not a job, it's a journey. It's a journey to follow Christ to the cross. And at that, we get to that place. On that point on the road of discipleship, Jesus says, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them, you can be the greatest servant. USA Today tells us that studies show that people who volunteer and have higher self-esteem. 2012, it said that they would have people who volunteer on a regular basis have better psychological well-being, that they're happier. It says that teenagers who volunteer have higher grades, that they have uh, less drug use, less dropout rate, less teen pregnancies. And overall, studies show that volunteering or serving others produces longer, happier lives. It creates stronger relational ties. It builds you better physical and mental health, and it gives you a sense of purpose and thankfulness and a positive outlook on life. I think Jesus knew what he was talking about. Perhaps the reason I'm not happy as I should be is that I'm not invested in serving others. Perhaps I've been focused on myself too much and my own religion and my own pursuit of holiness. And instead, I've pursued a different way. God, who can I love today? God, who can I serve today? God, in my marriage, can I turn the other cheek today? God, in that relationship, God, can I bow down low? And then then you'll see how highly favored and blessed you really are. That Jesus Christ comes and he tells us these promises that if we lose our lives in this world, you'll keep it forever. If you serve him, uh, you'll and if you humble yourself, that God will exalt you in due time. And that God the Father will honor us in John chapter 12, verse 25, that the greatest in the kingdom is the least. And we could prove him in that. Where are you at on the journey to follow Christ to the cross? It's not just about being saved, church. It's a journey to servanthood, to serving others. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come back? We are not spiritually fulfilled in this world until we serve through Christ's love. And we are not eternally secure in the love of God until we love God enough to serve others. Do you love God enough to serve others?
Have you been served by Jesus Christ today? Have you been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit? Have you been served? Have you humbled yourself to allow Jesus to serve you? Have you had a humbling experience with Jesus where you'd say, God, I needed you to die for me. I needed your blood to cover my sins. God, I need, needed your death. God, I needed your sacrifice. Are you willing to let it all go and to let everything out and be unashamed before God and just humbled at His wonderful act that He put off His glory and put on our slavery? That He went from heaven to hell to serve you. What an honor. What a sacrifice. What a love that God so loved the world. And then secondly, how has that love transformed you? How has that great act of service, not just the physical foot washing, but how Jesus Christ took on slavery, that He loved them to the very end. He loved you to the very end and was willing to die for you, to serve you, that Jesus Christ here today is still willing to wash you over and over again, still willing to cleanse you. If we would just let it go and say, God, let me be changed by your act of service. Let me be changed by your love. Let me not harbor that thing in my heart anymore, God, and just say, God, I'm letting it go. I'm surrendering it all. God, just to say, Lord, it's all about you. And Lord, I'm not concerned about if I'm better or if I'm greater or if I'm holier. But God, if I just love you more, all of that will come into place. God, if I just serve you more and serve others more, God, you'll honor me. You'll bless me. You'll fill me with the Holy Spirit. You'll give me that peace and that love that I'm looking for because, God, I've been holding on to secret things, God. Maybe you're not even, you haven't been aware until just now the Holy Spirit is pricking things in your heart to say, you've been holding on to this while I've been trying to serve you. And I can't really serve you. I can't really bless you until you let that go and you begin to serve that other person. You begin to love that other person like Jesus loved them. I don't know about you today, church, but I don't want to be a person while Jesus is bowing down that I'm standing up. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? That's what you're supposed to be doing. He's got a word for you today. He loves you, so love others. He served you, so let's serve others. He died to build up His church, so let's build up His church. He died that the lost might know Him, so let's die so the lost can know Him. Because that's what Jesus Christ is doing today. And, and let's not be invested in anything else more than what Jesus Christ is. You're here today and you say, Pastor, he...